What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. A uh, little, little quick review. Uh, this guy, uh, Elimelech, he moves his family because of a famine to Moab. Um, I hope he was planning on coming back, but he didn't come back. He died. He died. And when he died, um, his two sons, they married Moabite women. And then they died. And so in this story here, uh, there are these three widows, but then in, in verse 6, Ruth hears that, hey, things are happening back in her homeland, and she decides to go. Verse 7, she goes, right? And now the two daughters-in-law, she, she basically is saying, hey, hey guys, look, go, go, go back. God's not with me. He's against me. Don't come with me. And one of them leaves, but one stays. And let's pick that up in verse 14. It says this, Ruth clung to her. Remember I had you highlight that last week? Um, Ruth clung to her. That is a word that basically means to stick like glue. And that's going to be important as we talk about covenant today because it's the same type of language that we see. Now, verse 15, Ruth is clinging to Naomi but then Naomi says to her in verse, Ruth chapter 1, verse 15, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. And I want you to highlight her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, m- m- multiple times here, Naomi is like, go back, go back, go back, go back. It's not that Naomi is being rude, like, hey, I don't want you with me. But what Naomi is doing is she is checking the heart of Ruth. Do you understand what this means for you? Do you understand the cost of this decision? You are about to leave your people. You are about to leave your culture. You are about to leave your way of life. You are about to leave your gods. And you are going to renounce all of that to welcome in a new group of people and the one and only true God. And so Ruth has to deal with that reality. She could no longer be a Moabite because she was going to become an Israelite. She could no longer worship the God of Shemosh, which, by the way, wanted you to sacrifice and burn your children on the arms, and they would sacrifice their kids to this god, Shemosh. That was the god of Moab. We no longer worship that god, not the god that asks for child sacrifice, but the god who sacrifices his only son for you. It's a different god. It's a different god. It's a beautiful god. And so she would have to renounce everything. Now listen, uh, back in the day, people would say, bro, you ain't ain't black, but but you ain't white either. Some people would say it like that. What are you? And I would take great pride in my Hawaiian ancestry, my Hawaiian ethnicity, if you will, right? Um. But as I began to research my Hawaiian heritage, um, come to find out, and, and, and by the way, that Disney movie, there, there's a lot of, uh, what's, it, what's it called? 
Moana, yeah. So those are like real, that hawk god is a real god, by the way. It's a real demonic god that the Hawaiian culture used to worship. And, and by the way, two out of three children would be sacrificed to that god, okay? So you see the spiritual stuff as well, where, you know, they're talking to animals and stuff like that. So that was like a real culture, the kahunas and the, and the, and the priests, right? They, they would, were in charge. The chiefs were in charge, and everybody else was a commoner. So much so that when a kahuna or a priest would walk by, the commoners had to bow down on the ground, prostrate, and if a kahuna said, you die today, they died today. It was also a promiscuous culture and a warring culture. And so for me, when I found all of that stuff out, that that's in my background, that that's in my past, that that generational stuff is tied to me, guess what I had to do? I had to renounce that. No more. And I put the cross, I asked for forgiveness for my ancestral line. Oh, God, please forgive me. And by the way, this is inner healing, by the way, that we say, God, forgive my ancestors. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I renounce that in the name of Jesus. And I break off every stronghold, and I put the cross of Christ between me and them in the name of Jesus. And I'm starting a new line, a new lineage. I'm going to follow Yahweh. I'm going to follow Jehovah. I'm all in for Jesus, and that's gone now. You're dead to me. You're dead to me. And this is an offensive message to many of you here. You don't like this. And listen, neither did the Jews of Jesus' day. And they killed him because he attacked the stronghold in which they trust. And John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Lord, wanting to make these paths straight. And John the Baptist says this in Luke 3, says, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. They had confidence in their ethnic identity. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now even the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Do not put any confidence in your ethnicity. None. I want you to understand one of the first issues in the early church is listed in Acts 6.1. Acts 6.1. And you know what it was? It was racial tension. Do you know why there was racial tension? Because they were standing in their ethnic identity, and they'd never renounced that to stand in Christ and Christ alone, where there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave, free, male, female. It's gone. I'm in Christ. Look at what it says in Acts 6.1. I'll read it to you. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution. Racial discrimination because people were standing in their ethnic identity. They wanted to cling to that. They wanted to find identity in that. And let me tell you something. United States of America... If we obey the Bible here, 
And we no longer see each other by the color of our skin, but we see one another by who we are in Christ. And that defines us. All this nonsense that the world deals with goes away. I am not Hawaiian. That's gone. I'm in Christ. And that alone defines me. I am not the color of my skin. That's ridiculous. I am a child of God. You are my brother and my sister, not because of anything you're bringing to the table, but because of the cross, because of the blood of Jesus. You and me are one now. We're united now. The old is gone. The new has come. When will the church have unity? That's a misunderstanding of the gospel. We already have unity. Ephesians 4. It says to guard and protect the unity. You already have it through the blood of the cross. We are one. We've been declared one. And so be careful when you put walls up that Jesus tore down. Be very careful, church. Be careful you're not holding on to things that Jesus doesn't want you to hold on to, to take pride into, in things that Jesus, you cannot find it in Scripture where you can take pride in your ethnicity. It's not there. The axe is at the root of that tree. Let's go ahead and turn to Luke 14. Again, they killed Jesus because he attacked that. He says, you are of your father Abraham, right? We're of our father Abraham. And Jesus is like, no, no, really, you're of your father the devil. He was challenging them on the fact, you're not Abraham's. You, You would do what Abraham did. They were focused on their ethnicity. Jesus challenged that, and he came against that, and they killed him for it. I'm hated by a lot of people because I continue to preach this message. It's kingdom culture over your culture, and I'll never apologize. When your culture does not line up with the kingdom of God, your culture has to go. Luke 14. The question for all of us today, all of us, myself included, as I'm crying out and keeping my heart before God is, God, what do I need to renounce today? I just spent some time on ethnic identity, getting, getting identity from your ethnicity. What, what I renounce that, me personally, I renounce that, and I find no pride in that at all anymore. I could care less. All my pride and all my wealth is in Christ and Christ alone. I want to be found in him and him alone. I consider, like Paul says, My ethnicity, rubbish and dung compared to being found in Christ. I've renounced that. The question for all of us today is, what do you need to renounce? I want to start here in Luke 14, verse 15. And we're going to read... Read through verse 33, but I want you to follow along, please. It says, when one of those who declined at the table with him heard these things, 
He said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said, Jesus, but he said to him, a man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. You want to highlight that. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see to it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master and his master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the cities and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there's still more room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. You want to highlight that as well. My house may be filled for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The invitation went out. People loved whatever it was more than going to the banquet. They were all invited, but there were so many people who had excuses. How many of us can relate to that? How many times have I excused myself from not doing what I've even felt led to do. Go share with that person, Chris. Uh, I, I, I really don't have time. That person's not going to listen. I don't want to bother anybody. It's a pushing away. I don't know if anybody can relate to that kind of stinking thinking. The invitation goes out to everyone. And then verse 24, scary. Man, those invited shall not, none of those invited shall taste my banquet. This gospel call goes out to everyone, but there are those of us, God, I'm not ready, or "I, I have to do this, or I have to do this, and And listen, if you're here today and your life is really defined by and you believe in Jesus, you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You believe he rose from the dead on the third day. You believe that. But yet your life can can you're here today and you're like, it it really could be defined as someone who's just kind of made excuses about why you can't do anything. It ends today. It ends today. Now, some of you are like, no, I don't want it to end today. Because I have to. And this is why it's a hard message, because guess what? That's in all of us. And my encouragement and admonition to you is do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Just say, okay, God, I know I'm one that makes excuses all the time. I can't do this. I can't do that. 
I can't serve an extra 30 minutes to break down for, 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 for the church on Sunday because I have to get to my 1 o'clock game to watch the Dolphins play the Carolina Panthers. But God, help me to get rid of these excuses to live wide open to you. And this needs to be a prayer. This needs to be a cry for all of us. Let's, let's continue on. Verse 25. We're still in Luke 14. It says, Now great crowds, verse 25, accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them, This is where Jesus is a bad, he's bad in marketing. He needed to go to PBA and take marketing. He, he, he could have done way better. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so we see that hate. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't even make sense. I thought we were supposed to love our enemies. I thought, thought, right? So here, God is not telling you and me to hate our family because he would, he would be contradicting what the fifth commandment is, which is, which is honor your mother and your father. So we, we, we know in the whole context of Scripture, we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to love everybody, right? Well, what is Jesus saying? Listen, he's saying this. Compared to your love for me, how you feel about your, your family there should be such a non-comparison that, 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 that shouldn't even come close. It should almost look like hate because you love me so much. It could also mean love less, if you will. Um, listen, there is a lot of uh, our young people that do our discipleship program, 516, and a lot of times parents are like, you're going to do what? You're going to like quit your job and... You're going to move into this, to the inner city and, and do this program? Well, do you get a degree? Do you get, no, I don't get anything. Do you get paid? No, I don't get anything. What are you doing? You're wasting your life. And for some, the approval of their parents is more important than what Jesus is calling them to do. And they actually are in love. I don't want to disappoint my parents. And see, Jesus was talking to an Israelite Hebrew community that when you got born again, when you got saved, when you gave your life to this Yeshua, Jesus, many times, the Hebrews family, they would have a funeral for their child that went to follow Jesus. You're dead to me. And so Jesus, being a good leader, he's getting them ready with his teaching in your heart. Now, again, I'll never forget my mother. She went over to my grandmother's house. Hey, Donna, do you want a glass of wine, you know? And my mom's like, no, I, I quit drinking. And my grandmother said back, and I'll never forget this, I was a little kid, if you don't drink, you're no longer part of our family. And my mom walked out. She was crying. I, didn't, I was confused. My mom just gave her life to Jesus, you know, and, and God convicted her of that. And... Mom, why are you, why, why did grandma say that to you? Why did she? And here's why. I don't remember what my mom said, but here's why. What, what Jesus was doing in my mom's life is what he does in every disciple's life. Do you love me more than your family? 
And are you going to bow down to their wishes? Or are you going to bow down to mine? You still want to honor. You still want to love. It's not like my, my mom said. But she had to do what Jesus was telling her to do, not what her family wanted. You see Ruth with that same <coughs> mindset. Verse 27. Well, let, let, let's go back to verse 26 here. Again, Luke 14. And hate even his own life. His own life. Again, uh, God does not want you to, you know, go drown yourself in the ocean because you hate your own life. But that you're so indifferent to what you want, what you desire, that compared to your desire to please him, to live for his glory and not your own, you actually hate your own life compared to how much you love God. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You might want to highlight that, cannot be my disciple. We live in an age where discipleship is optional. The cross, these people understood, they understood that the cross was painful, that the cross was shameful, that the cross meant death, that the cross meant you were completely naked and vulnerable to be mocked to the world around you, that you're treated like the scum of the earth. Jesus is saying you have your own cross. Like there's going to be painful things you will be called to embrace as you follow Jesus. For which of you desiring to build a tower doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, it's not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So sitting down and, and having an architect draw up drawings, doing price points. Okay, can we do this, right? Jesus is saying, before you decide to build something, you need to plan. Here again, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you, and you want to highlight this, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Tough. It's tough medicine that goes down. And we have to all deal with this as followers of Jesus. Have I come to the place where I'm willing to renounce all that I have to follow you, Jesus? To renounce it all. Are you going to be like Ruth, where you're willing to walk away from your people? See, at first, when I first came to Jesus, man, I needed my friend's approval. And the people that I was hanging out with, 
doing drugs and drinking and partying. Like I was trying to go to church on Sunday, but hanging out with them. But whenever I'd hang out with them, I'd compromise a little bit. Then I'd end up giving in to the peer pressure. It was a fear of man, really, that was in me, where I needed their approval. And it wasn't until God said, hey, you need to separate from among them from a season, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, um, that you need to not be yoked up with them so that you can get strong in me. And I did that. And then when I got invited back sometime later, hey, bro, we ain't seen you. Come on. And I try to hit fear of man, right? Uh, I don't have any money, man. I can't go. Oh, bro, don't worry. It's on me. Now, pre-Christ, it was never, on me, bro, I got you. But now after Christ, because the enemy's at work, oh, bro, it's on me. And when I said, nah, I'm good, nah, I'm good, they understood something shifted. There was a difference. And guess what stopped coming? The invitations to go with them. Because cockroaches don't like the light. Does that make sense? And I had to come to a place where, hey, these aren't my people anymore. Ah, but we're boys, we're this, we're that, yeah. Who's my boys now? Who's my people now? And that shift needs to take place in every believer's life. And so for you, welcome in. Holy Spirit, is there anything that I need to renounce in my life? Now get off me right now, okay? Is there anything that I need to renounce? And keep that question open. And maybe today you take a break for 30 minutes and you just say, you know what, God, speak to me. Bring up anything right now, Holy Spirit of God, that I can just write down things. I, what do I need to renounce? Some of you already know what you need to renounce. Some of you, you need to sit before the Lord. There's people that I run into, oh, well, I'm an introvert, so I just, you know. Well, my question is, was Jesus an introvert? No. In fact, he was moved by love towards who? People. Towards us. Towards people who didn't want him. Towards people who killed him, by the way. And some of us hide behind, I'm an introvert. Well, that may be so. But you're so closed off because you have this belief that you're not available to what God may want you to do. And some of you are the flip side. You're so extrovert. I need more people. That you can't break away like Jesus did from the crowds and just go sit at the feet of the Father and receive love. See, nobody's getting away today. I'm, we're coming for every, you know. Some of you are walking in a marriage, and you look at marriage like it's a 50-50. Do you know that's not biblical? Should have went through premarital counseling. 
and you're operating in a two-ness and not a oneness. Marriage is a hundred a hundred, meaning I am a hundred percent in with this relationship, and I no longer live to meet my needs, but I live solely to meet the needs of the one who God has given me. That's what marriage is. And when we begin to walk in that, there is a beautiful divine romance that happens because now we're both consumed and concerned with one another and not ourselves. Whenever there's an argument in marriage, somebody is not dying to themselves. You're operating in two-ness and not oneness. There's a book, His Needs, Her Needs. Yeah, don't read that. I heard it was a good book, but don't read it. Listen, here's the deal. God, you meet all my needs. I'll trust you. And if she never meets my needs again, I'm going to live to meet her needs. Not enablement, entitlement, right? But God... Move me towards her for your, for your glory. What do you want me to do? I want to get up as a man and plan my funeral every day. Joy. Not one hallelujah. Not one, not, not one preach. Preach it! For some of us, it's career. Like, we just keep thinking, that next, that next, that next. And we look at Elisha, he burned everything to follow Elijah. And he found a better life, actually. In Acts 19, we see the people come to Christ there. And they're into magic and and witchcraft and the all of that stuff, and what did they do? They burned their books. They renounced that stuff and said, we're no longer going to go back to that way of life. And some of you have left the approval of your family, your biological family, but you switched it from one approval of one family to now the approval of the church family. And the same thing is still happening where you're living for the approval of man and not God. And so what needs to be renounced today? Is it that relationship? Is it that dream that you have? I've got so many stories of girls that are single in their 30s that have met with my wife, they're like, oh, I'm turning 30, and I just, I don't know if I'm ever going to get married, and, and my wife's like, yeah, I was 36 when I got married, oh, there's, there's not, anyway, that, that was funny to me, it's funny to me, but uh, anyway, it's funny counseling, um, no whining, no complaining, so, but my wife brings them to the place where what if it's not God's will for you ever to be married? And just married to Christ. Are you good with that? And here, here we go. Here we go. All the ladies in the house say, la, 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 la. You know, it's like, <laughs> bro, what are you doing? How am I single ladies? Anyway, there's, there's an aspect where we don't want to hear that. But again, I've got so many stories of when 
God does something in a, in a young lady's heart where she comes completely content with the reality that I might never get married, and I'm good with that, God, even though you know I want that, but I'm good with it, God. All of a sudden, a few months later, Mr. Wright comes along because God was just getting you to the place where you renounced everything. Does that make sense? All right, good. So there's two guys that have really affected me. I want to encourage you to read them. Dallas Willard, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, amazing men of God. And here's some musings, if you will, from them. I've massaged it up because they're really, really smart, and I can't understand them. I have to actually take what they write and kind of dummy them down a little bit, so please bear with me. But Bonhoeffer basically says the cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the price paid to walk in Christ. The enemy is tricking you right now for those who do not want to renounce anything that the cost is just way too high and you can't trust that Christ has a better plan. And so, listen, non-discipleship, it's going to cost you a life of not abiding in perfect peace as you walk in the presence of the Prince of Peace. You'll not know what peace is. Non-discipleship will cost you an intimate friendship with God because he is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. But if you do not become a disciple, right, renouncing everything, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus, you're not going to experience that intimate friendship with God. Non-discipleship costs a life saturated in the love of God, that you walk around never needing the approval of men because you know deep down in your heart it's been burned in you that you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased because you've sat in the presence of God and he has done that in and through your life. Non-discipleship, it costs, a, it costs faith that causes you to see things in the light of God's goodness. So you don't sit around and complain and whine about this and about that and say different things that the rest of the world is saying. You say, no, 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 my God is good. He works all things together for good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. Listen, Ruth, 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 she was bitter at God. She was angry at God. She didn't see the sovereign plan of God in her life. And when we don't become disciples, when we don't renounce things, we're not going to walk with a faith that really, really believes God is good, no matter what happens to me. When I do not become a disciple, I'm not going to be hope-filled with my perspective on things. Even in discouraging circumstances, if I do not become a disciple, it's going to cost me the ability to walk in power and authority to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. I will be overcome with evil. I won't do what it says in Romans 12. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Because I don't understand through discipleship my power and my authority to walk in Christ. You miss out. You miss out on what Jesus came to do. He said, I've come, John 10, 10, 
to give them life and life abundantly. And the big trick of the enemy is to, is to get you to believe, don't renounce, don't walk away, make excuses, push it back. God's grace is sufficient. He'll love you anyway. And listen, all that may be true, but the call is to renounce it all. And the grace comes in when you say, God, I don't want to renounce it all. I actually love my life. But I know that that's wrong. Save me. Save me. Save me from myself. Save me from myself. I love myself more than I love you, God. See, this is why Paul was just so focused. And you read his writings. Hey, God, for me, for me to live means I'm going to live as Christ. To die is gain. Like, I'm excited to die. So much so, Galatians 2.20, right? That was Philippians 1.21 I just quoted there. But Galatians 2.20, for, for I've been crucified with Christ. Like, I'm going to embrace that cross as soon as possible. And I no longer live because I know I don't want to live anymore. But the life that I live, I, I live by faith in what? Christ. Christ lives in me. And I want everything to die. I want everything to go. I want to renounce it all so I can have Christ in Christ alone. This was throughout Paul's writings. Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Without Christ, I have no hope. No hope of bringing God glory. So I need you, Christ. You are my only hope. You're my only hope. Romans 6, 11, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Colossians 3, 3, for you died when Christ died. In your life, it's now seated with Christ and God. Everything that I have, I just want to stay on that cross, and I just want to have my old life there and I just want to walk in the newness of life, Jesus. You are the resurrection and the life. Please, God, I want to renounce it all, and I want to be all in for you. Please, Christian, do not be tricked and deceived that the cost of discipleship is too high. Ask for a heart that just runs, runs to renounce it all. Let's go back to Ruth 1. Ruth 1, 16. Here, Ruth, and this is why we read it at first, because I really, really pray. If you forget everything that I've, that I've said so far, that's okay. Please stick with this passage. Because if you can pray this with sincerity, you're saved. If you can't, I question your salvation. But Ruth said, do not urge me. See, she's renouncing. She's renouncing and she's replacing. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. 
May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. Man, have you said that to Jesus? Have you said that to Jesus with all sincerity? Do you know when I marry someone, I have them hold hands, look into one another's eyes and repeat those passages before me, the congregation, and more importantly, before God. May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. That's a covenant. That's a covenant. I want you to understand something, and you can just jot these passages down just for your own study. When you look at verse 16 again, notice everything that Ruth said, Jesus has already done for you. Jesus says these things to you first. This is how beautiful his leadership is. He leads his sheep out and they follow. Jesus always goes first. We serve a God that's perfect in his leadership who has went first and he has declared these covenant promises to each and every one of you here. So Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. And Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's part of the covenant that Jesus makes with you. This is what you're being invited into. Then the next part in 16, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 20, I'm with you always even until the end of the age. That's part of the covenant that he's always with you. He is Emmanuel. He is bound himself to you by the covenant that was made in his broken body and his blood on the cross. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. John 17, 21, Jesus is praying his priestly prayer and he says that they may be all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus wants you in his family. You become part of his family now. He's already said this. He's already made a way for you. And then verse 17, where you die, I will die And there I'll be buried, may the Lord do so for me, if anything but death parts you from me. Jesus embraced the cross. He didn't have to, but because of his great love, he despised the shame, and he embraced the cross. So when he tells us to carry our own cross, understand, he went first as the perfect leader, and he has died for us so that we can be joined to him. And in Mark 8.31, he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer these things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days would rise again. Jesus initiated this covenant through covenantal terms by making these promises to us. Then he went on the cross and he was beaten and killed and he rose again on the third day to solidify the covenant that was made in his own blood that cannot be broken. And he invites us in. He invites all of us in to a union with him that we become, we become sons and daughters of the Most High God. There's many people 
that got saved, and I'll, I'll do this, through a contract and not a covenant. Meaning, the pastor's up here, the music is playing, the lights and the smoke machines are on. And it's emotional, and he's telling a little story. Just come, just come, just come and give your life. He's just, it's going to make your life better, and he's lying to you. I don't know about you, but my life got really a lot worse when I came to Christ because I had to, I couldn't do what I wanted anymore. I had to get a new set of friends. I had to start being a giver instead of a taker. Like, like my whole way of life had to be flipped. And I loved my life. I didn't hate it. That's discipleship. Like, guys, I'm not making this up. We read John 14. Or Luke, Luke 14, right? We, we've read that. We've seen this. And so a lot of people have got, gotten saved through a contract gospel where we see kind of the gospel through the model of a courtroom where I was a, a condemned prisoner under the sentence of death, but then the judge stood up, he took off his robe, and he surrendered himself to be killed on my behalf, and the judge took my place and paid my penalty, and I was justified and declared righteous by the death of the judge. Now, what's wrong with that analogy? Nothing, but it's contract, it's not covenant. It's a transaction, a legal transaction in the court of law. A covenant is different. The root word of covenant, it means this. It means to bind, to feather together, to Ruth 1.14, to stick like glue, that there's no more separation. We're bound to one another. A contract is an agreement whereby properties and goods are exchanged from one person to another. Contracts are negotiable and they can be changed and even canceled. But a covenant, a covenant, it's far above exchange of properties and things. It's the giving of one's whole person in life to another. And the wholehearted receiving of that other person into his or her life. Jesus, my whole life is yours. And I renounce it. Now I want all of you in me. I want a covenant with you. I renounce my whole life and I just want you, Jesus. And listen. Some of you got saved and the guy's calling and he's saying, hey, I want you to pray this prayer. And you just prayed this prayer and you just kind of went about your life and, and, and nothing ever changed. My, I'm concerned with that kind of an altar call. The gospel that Jesus preached is for you to surrender your whole life to him. That you would, no long, you would deny yourself, that you would take up the cross, and you would follow Jesus. Like, that's the call. That's the call. 
That's the call. And the reality is most people don't want to do that. What they want is, okay, I'm going to believe that he died for my sins so my sins can get taken away so that I can go to heaven when I die. I don't find that in the Bible anywhere. Because you know what that is? It's a transaction. Get rid of my sins so I can get fire insurance. And I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. The devil believes that Jesus died for your sins. The devil believes and knows that Jesus rose again on the third day. He's got really good doctrine when it comes to that. In fact, better doctrine than most of us in here. How do I know that? Because when Jesus showed up, he, uh, demons fell down. What do you want to do with us, oh God? Our time has not yet come. And, they, and, and, and those demoniacs, they bowed before Christ. When was the last time you fell on your face and said, oh God, what do you want to do with me? Demons are out worshiping the Christians sometimes. But it's not real worship. It's not real worship because they don't want Jesus. They want the transaction. It's not our time. Send us into the pigs. Let's make this transaction quick so we can go into the pigs. No, listen, do you want Christ? Do you want his beautiful leadership? Do you want to follow him everywhere, everywhere, everywhere? Do you want to surrender your life to him today? Do not harden your heart and do not be deceived by the enemy that when you renounce your old life, that the new one's not going to be any good. No, you are going to experience abundant life. But the reason why most of us haven't experienced the abundant life is because we haven't renounced our old life. I want you to go to Ruth. Now, technically, I should do an altar call right now. But again, it's not emotions. What do you want? What do you want? Do you want Jesus? Now, look at Ruth's life, verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined, you want to highlight determined. To go with her, she said no more. What about your coworkers? What about your friends? What about the people you hang with? They know you're determined to follow Jesus no matter what. When I came into the kingdom of God, I was dating a girl, and her tarot cards that she was reading were like, this guy's the, the man, go for him. I don't know if they said all that, but basically it was good, good stuff from the tarot cards. As we dated and as I fell into sin with her, I remember being at a church one day and I felt the pastor calling me, hey, are you going to renounce, renounce this relationship that you're in to the whole church? Some of you need to take a year off dating, that's what was said, because you can't overcome your sexual uh, addiction, so take a year off dating. And I was the first one that was up, first one that was up. I was crying and broken before God. Hey, and the guy's like, hey, is the girl that, 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 that you're with right now, is she here? Yeah, you need to go break up with her in a parking lot. I don't want to do that. You need to do it. Come let me know when you've done it. Ooh, that's some real discipleship, accountability.
When I did that, all of a sudden, the tarot cards, I didn't know she was doing tarot cards, by the, by the way. The tarot cards she was doing all were now death. She was getting death towards me. Death. Stay away from him. Stay away from him. Do you know why? Because there was a physical manifestation that was made that showed my internal declaration before God that the enemy knew and saw. Stay away from him because he is salt. He is light. He's determined. He's taking a year off dating. Stay away from that guy. How do I know all this stuff, by the way? She got saved. She's married to a pastor. Praise God. What was meant for evil, God meant for good. But she let me in on all that stuff. I didn't know I was dating a witch, but anyway. <laughs> and that stuff's serious, horoscope and all that. Please don't mess around with that stuff. That stuff's real. And the reason why the enemy shifted on me, because the enemy saw that I was determined. Verse 19, so the two of them went on to Bethlehem, and they came to Bethlehem, and the whole town was stirred because of them, and the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. What's Naomi mean again? Pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. So she changed her name. For the Almighty, here's why, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? I want you to go back down to Ruth 1.13. 1.13. It says, No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So you see, this is not just a little thing with Naomi. She has roots of false beliefs that God's hand is against her. She doesn't see from God's perspective that all of that death, all of that journey was to bring Ruth the Moabite into the Israelite camp, to bring them into a new God, that salvation would happen. And not only that, but that she would give birth to Obed, who would give birth to Jesse, and who would give birth to King David. She couldn't see God's ultimate sovereign plan because of her bitterness and resentment against God. And some of you today can't see. It's the reality. You can't see. Why you need to renounce everything. Because of past hurts. Maybe God disappointed you from your perspective. Maybe you tried that before. So many people have come into our inner healing prayer ministry actually holding unforgiveness towards God and bitterness. God, why would you let me marry that person? And they're blaming God and they're bitter towards God. <sighs> Can't forgive their parents. Because they didn't do this, this, and this. 
and we walk them through forgiveness and then get them to a place where, okay, now it's time to bless them. And they, ah, I don't want to bless them. I can't do that. And see, there's a holding on to things and an unwillingness to renounce that ungodly way of life because there's strongholds that are in you that are in me. Naomi believed false things about God, and I want you to understand something. The enemy is always trying to malign the character and nature of God because he hates God. He accuses the brethren, but he also accuses God to the brethren so that we don't want to renounce things, so that we don't want to walk away from our old life. Naomi, verse 22, returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, they returned to the country, from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, that means house of bread, at the beginning of the barley harvest. They left Israel, Bethlehem, when there was a famine, but they came back to a harvest. Listen, whatever you try to hold on to today, and worship team, if you could come up, and our prayer partners, if you can come up as well. Listen, what you're holding on to that God is putting his finger on that you should renounce, whatever it is, that's going to lead you to a place of famine. But God in his grace, after you renounce things, he, he's going to do things in your life where he's going to bring you into a life of harvest, of plenty, of peace, of victory, of security. He is so good. He is so loving. And yeah, things are hard to renounce, but man, acknowledge that. Acknowledge that. And even, you know, one of the best prayers I prayed, Lord, uh, there's no way I can stop having sex, but you're God. You're God. You're going to have to do it. There ain't no way I can do it. Man, it's right there that God meets us with our frailty, with our faults, and he wants to bring us into abundant life that's with him. So don't be deceived. Don't walk out of here by not renouncing things that he lays upon your heart. So let's worship now. Jesus, we thank you for just your continued abiding love for us, that you never change, God. And your cross, your cross, it just... It just casts this huge shadow over each and every one of us. If you didn't spare your own son, Father, if you didn't spare your own son, but you gave him up for us, how will you withhold anything from us? I pray, God, for the faith to be able to renounce the things you're calling us to renounce so that we can fully surrender our life to you. And I know that surrender is a process, not a one-time thing. And so, God, we just ask for more, more. And, God, when we do that, we pray, God, for a filling of your Holy Spirit so that we walk in the fullness and the freedom that you have for us. Have your way in this place today. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. 
Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com. Thank you.